This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, that's where the votes happened to make this episode happen. It's another roundtable episode. B-sides, Jay. The room where the void... The room where the votes happen? It's the room where it happens. The room where it happens. I'm going to get yelled at for using that phrase by my wife, who is a fan of Hamilton. Oh, boy. Yep. <laughs> so, B-sides, Jay. Lots of them. The, the 90s were filled with B-sides. So many. And we're going to cover every single B-side released in the 90s it's going to be our first 13 hour episode (laughs) gentlemen strap in for this episode uh it has it's been a long time but we need to welcome back uh phil fleming phil how's it been it's it's been so long oh my god yeah no it's been great (laughs) it's been great all the all of the all of the notoriety i got from the last time I appeared is just amazing. I mean, <laughs> it gets crazy. Other people will tell you, you gotta, you know, you have to change your phone number and, and, uh, delete your social media. It just gets, yep. It's wild. Assumed name. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome back. Thank and, you. And, <laughs> uh, also joining us from, uh, a, a very warm part of Ohio. Down in the uh, Cincy area, correct, Jeremy, Mr. Jeremy Amend, is that right? Do I have that correct? Cincinnati, that is correct. Yes. Yep. You will know Jeremy because he's been here for well, uh, a couple of episodes that uh, include such things as Dada's American Highway Flower and a couple of roundtables. One from uh, earlier this year, our albums of the '90s, or excuse me, albums of 1990. Our podcast is the albums of the 90s. And then last year's Sophomore Slump Reversed, where we talked about albums that were uh, better with the second release, or bands that were better with the second release than their their debuts. Thank you for joining us again, Jeremy, on this B-Sides episode. Come come ready with a folio of B-Sides you're ready to talk about. Also, we need to thank a bunch of new pledges, our, our union members over at Patreon, David Weisberg, Kyle Bittner, and Willie Dillon all have joined us at Patreon. Thank you, gents. Make sure to chime in on our polls. We've got one going as of the uh, recording time right now. It's our July album poll. Eight albums up for a vote. Lots of good options in that one. Yeah, I, uh, as I was putting that one together, I was impressed. It was good, good uh, set of albums to pick from. And then, um, of course, 
you'll get to hear our next 80s episode. And you can check out our back catalog of 80s episodes. Next one will be up in August. And uh, there'll be some stickers heading your way. So, B-sides. That's our roundtable. What do we mean? What's a B-side? Literally, it's the other side of the record. (laughs) Yes. Or that's what it used to be when you had a record. (laughs) CDs, obviously, in the 90s did not have other sides. No. Um, It's a bit of a weird decade in terms of a B-side could be one of one could be one song usually it wasn't usually cd singles had like multiple songs three the average was i think about three and that could be anything it could be a demo it could be a different song it could be a live version of the single a remix a dance mix a dub mix an instrumental of of (laughs) acapella version it could be it could be anything there was was, the sky's the limit yeah well, that was the maxi singles that had the acapella dub versions and yes, and the the uh, extended DJ dance remix that was twelve minutes long and that kind of thing. That that you had to pay a couple extra bucks for. And there was a discussion over on our Facebook page or Facebook on our Patreon page that CD singles were could be regional in terms of how they were utilized. So David Gorgos mentioned. English bands especially were prone to the double CD single phenomenon with multiple B-sides mm-hmm. over two discs for the same single, a uniquely 90s phenomenon. And then, Phil, you chimed in. Oh, with... yeah. It is called formatting. Because <laughs> <No>, um, <laughs> uh, a lot of bands were, a lot of bands, um, the, their record, the record deals in the UK required them to have more extra songs for formatting so if they released a single they would have to have you know uh one cd would have one bonus one bonus song uh david gorgos mentioned a 99 pence cd single that's usually just one b-side plus the plus the main single but then there were there was like cd one that had two two track two extra tracks cd two that had two extra tracks and it, and if they were really adventurous, they had a CD three, which usually that where that was where the uh, remix or live material went. And and I, I mentioned in the chat group that you know if if they were a particularly popular band, you know your Oasis's and your uh, Suede and Blur and things like that. It, I mean, you would have to have another song for the seven inch and another song for a single if if there was if one was released. It was it 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 was crazy, and I personally loved it. <laughs> well, and what's crazy is that they were really cheap in the UK. Yeah, but if you wanted to buy that same single in the US, it was like buying an album because they were imported. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean. The Tower Records in Boston, where I was, I mean, th- these CD singles would easily be the price of a, a cassette album, like set, like eight dollars, right? And that, and it has three songs on it. And heaven forbid, I mean, you got a you got a regular single, which the U.S. usually just had like a regular CD single, which is the main song and one B side. 
and then they had the maxi singles which had more b-sides and that's where you were t- you were going into the remixes and the acapella dub versions and and that kind of thing and as a collector of of a, a particular band where i would get into oh, yeah. a band very heavily it became expensive to very very track down you know there was one band in particular that i became a big fan of which were called marion which we've covered and Marion not only put out, like you said, multi-formatted singles, but they actually did the thing where you had a seven-inch, which had one song that wasn't on either of the CDs, the any of the CD, CD singles, singles. Yeah. And I didn't have a record player, so I didn't. I like <laughs> bought the single, and I didn't even have a way to listen to it. I had oh, to wait man. eventually for it to come, pop up on LimeWire and go, "Oh, that's what that song sounds like." Yeah. I mean, it it was it was a very interesting time, and for for those of us in the U.S., it was a very expensive time. Yes, if, if to if you were a fan of a particular band, I mean, and the and usually with all of these formattings, the formatting was there were all the British bands though. I, I mean, yes, well, I know I noticed that happened a lot. It was the British bands, and yeah, they would release a single here in the U.S. and. I mean, the the cure was the cures for, in my opinion, like the undisputed king of '90s B sides. Um, though it, it did seem totally like went some back US to bands the did too, though. Um, like not, Pearl Jam not, and Nirvana but, had a lot of singles, but not to the extent where the where the UK bands did it. Sure. Um, or, or even Smashing Pumpkins had a lot of oh yeah extra material. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, Smashing Pumpkins was definitely would definitely have a lot of material, which, which, you know, since those singles were released domestically, those were that was wonderful to be a fan of Smashing Pumpkins in the mid '90s. All those singles that came out of the uh, in, uh, Melancholy album, I mean, some of them were better than the tracks on the Melancholy album. Right, Jay. Yeah. Were you a collector of uh, of CD singles for bands? Not a ton. I I usually couldn't rationalize the cost. Um, there were a yeah. couple I bought here and there. I remember buying. There was a Def Leppard maxi single that they did with. Um, they did some songs with Hot House Flowers. Yeah, which was yeah, that... pretty cool to hear those two bands together. Um, I know that was one I bought. Um, I bought some Aerosmith because they started throwing on alternate versions or just unreleased songs. Um, that's about it. it there wasn't uh, a ton. The imports I was always intrigued by, but I would find another way to get them later. <laughs> they were just too expensive. It was just too much work and too much cost. For the for for like the Pearl Jams and the Nirvanas, I did buy the Pearl Jam ones, but I used to I waited for them to get used, like to be in the used bin. Because they were so expensive. Well, the, so it, after all of that waiting and stuff, when they they decided to to issue all of the singles almost at once uh, for the first th- three two uh, for the first two albums, they just decided at one point to just release them all domestically. Like content didn't change, but they were like, "Yeah, this is this is similar to the more expensive import version." And from that, Pearl Jam, probably the last case of this happening, I can't imagine, uh, maybe there's one other instance we could talk about, but 
scored a massive hit off of B-side, which is Yellow Leadbetter. Yeah. And uh, David Gorgos brought that up. He said Pearl Jam's best song, Yellow Leadbetter, was a B-side. And then he also mentioned Wedding Present did a single per month for one year, and all the B-sides were excellent covers. They particularly killed the Cheers theme. Luna B-side, <laughs> Time is my favorite original Christmas song. Eggnog, a joyous two-minute instrumental. Cubs B-side, TJ, was a boisterous cover of She's a Rainbow, stripping the stones of all their self-consciousness. John Seaman mentioned, I can't think of a bigger B-side than Yellow Leadbetter by Pearl Jam. It was on the Jeremy single, but it also got a lot of radio play itself. It still gets radio play. Oh, I can, yeah. Oh, I can yeah. tell you that the local heavy rock station in Columbus, 99.7 The Blitz, will play Yellow Leadbetter as much as they play Alive and Evenflow because they don't play anything past those records. That first oh, record, yeah, no. Or first two records. Yeah, John Seaman also mentioned the Melancholy B-Sides, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Which um, seemed like almost a calculated, because they released those singles, and then they released them as a box set, which obviously he had, Billy Corgan had a lot of extra material because he put out a whole B-Side collection before that, Pisces Iscariot, which is yep. as good as the first two records, and it's just all the oh, B-Sides. Absolutely. absolutely. And that had kind of a, a big, kind of a big release with his uh, cover of Landslide. I mean, it wasn't like Yellow Leadbetter yep. big. Did a pretty good job with it. particular cover was still a significant radio hit at the time i mean yellow lead better actually had a minor crossover like it, it it was it actually charted the near the bottom of the hot 100 based on sales alone but yeah um yeah the cover of landslide definitely helped sell pisces iscariot uh <laughs> landslide that cover version of landslide was my my wedding Jay, you, I don't know if you remember this. That was my <laughs> my dance with my mom. Aww. That was the 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 mother son dance. <laughs> and our and the first dance was to a John Bryan song. Oh, nice. So, which was uh, <laughs> uh, here, here we go from uh, Punch Drunk Love. Nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> the opening line is like, "You got to find someone as weird as you." And we were like, "Well, that's mm. kind of the perfect song." Um, did anyway, somebody beat up a bathroom after that? Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I did after that. Um, the other B-side that I was going to mention that was a huge single on its own was Oasis's Acquiesce, which I yes. believe is the only song in the Oasis catalog in which both brothers sing. Is there another song that I'm that they I don't sing? believe so. But I will be—I will be the first to admit I never really followed Oasis that closely, other than the singles. Um, I was in the Oasis versus Blur debate. I was always way into Blur. Um, and Blur had a ton of singles and B sides as well. Were there any? Oh yeah. Notable. Oh yeah. B sides from them. I think some of them got mentioned in the comments. Um. 
Mike Bond the mentioned alert. he actually said uh, hanging over. Hanging over. Um, I don't. I honestly don't remember the B sides for Blur that much. I because because Blur for me was definitely more of an album band than a singles band. Gotcha. Um, I never really like went after the singles for Blur like I did with with um, The Cure and to a lesser degree Suede. And Suede had a double album of yeah b-sides lullabies yeah which again i think is a very 90s thing in that collecting all the b-sides usually would happen like towards the end of a career when a band was like done and they needed to cash in like in the 70s or the 80s there were only three albums in and they were able able to release a double disc b-sides collection which scored a hit i believe that um my insatiable one was a uh, like had it was a like a tra- uh, a trending single or not trending single but a, a charting single you know like you said a double album of b-sides that song that yeah. album or that band was pretty prolific in terms of its output at that time and they continued i mean they put out b-sides up through i want to say um the reunion know, early, yeah yeah a, a lot of a lot of B-sides from that band. And it seemed like the, you, you mentioned it about it with the contracts with UK bands having to do B-sides and have extra songs oh, yeah. that, you know, another one is the Manic Street Preachers who always had a ton of B-sides and, and they have a collection of B-sides as well. It didn't come out in the 90s. Well, that, that, was, a, that, was, the, that was the thing when I was looking up like B-side compilations a lot of the a lot of the '90s B sides ended up being released in compilations in the 2000s. Right, I had noticed. So it it was it was like Ari, which one am I going to mention? And it's like sure. ah, sugar. They were all in the 2000s. Well, <laughs> if, if the B sides were originally released in the '90s, you're you're probably fine. Yeah, there we can still talk about them. But it seemed like a lot of bands just slipped them in between albums. Like we mentioned about Smashing Pumpkins with. Pisces Iscariot and mm-hmm. Suede with that came out um, after the third album. Catherine Wheel released a compilation of B sides and rarities, which didn't even capture all of them. I mean, like Cats and Dogs came out in between Happy Days and Adam and Eve, and you could probably yeah. make a whole other album of B sides that were not included from a bunch of their earlier singles. And um, that album is just as strong. I don't know if you agree, Jay, or not, but. Being another huge Catherine Wheel fan, yeah. like Cats and Dogs is a very strong record in comparison to their other material. Yeah, I like it a lot. It gives you a nice feel for like the full spectrum of the band too. Um, right. You get a fun cover, Spirit of the Radio, and uh, Wish You Were Here, which they mm. their own way uh, really well. I mean, I just I remember that 
compilation coming out, and they were they were really pushing the the heel two, yes, something like that. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. a remix of the song "Heel" from Happy Days, which was Happy Days, like a yeah. six minute long song. So having a remixed four minute version for radio, <laughs> you know, made sense. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, some of the other bands that released rarities. Uh, Jay, you mentioned Def Leppard. They released the Rarities album called Retroactive in uh, 1993. Mm-hmm. We, we mentioned Suede and, and, and Blur and Oasis. Uh, the Verve released a, a B-Sides collection called No Come Down in 1994. Which I, Was that after two albums? Or was that after the first album? That, that seems well, pretty early. Be. And then... Um, on the, uh, also, then you have the Stone Roses, who were their first album came out in the '80s, but uh, the second album came out in the '90s. Turns into Stone that was released in 1992, and again, that was a band that scored singles or scored um, hits off of singles. Uh, yeah, but and, and they, they, I mean, Stone Roses, I believe they had like three hit singles before an album was even released. Right, like isn't Sally Cinnamon? Is that the name of the song that is a single, but it's not on an album? And, and then you have another uh, a number of bands like Toad the Wet Sprocket, who in '95 released In Light Syrup. They had put out a bunch of albums by then, and they had you know a number of singles: uh, Morphine, um, Hole, and uh, the Cardigans, Other Side of the Moon. So there were, I mean, there's just a lot of compilations coming out with B sides in addition to all these. You know, a lot of bands never got around to the compilations. They just had their their uh, releases. So some of the other B-sides that got mentioned on Patreon I want to bring up. Justin Wexler mentioned uh, Nirvana's Incesticide was great and didn't even come close to covering all their fantastic B-sides and deep cuts. Perhaps one of their best songs, Oh, The Guilt, came out on a 7-inch with the Jesus Lizard. And then he mentioned the Cardigans' Other Side of the Moon had a bunch of crucial B-sides from the first Band on the Moon record. Fountains of Wayne, Out of State's Plates, collects two full albums with the B-sides that are almost all great. Super Drag is another excellent band with tons of B-sides from their first few albums. A bunch of different collections have come out with those. Changing Tires on the Road to Ruin, The Complete Bender Sessions, Jokers with Tracers. Jay, have you checked out any of those B-sides collections from Super Drag? I did. I, they didn't knock me over it right away. I probably have to spend more time with them, but I, I didn't know any of those songs at the time. Gotcha. And then uh, Dan Goodspeed mentioned Ben Folds 5 had this accidental song that they made up on the spot in the recording studio just doing some level checks, and they went on a crazy six-minute, funny, expletive-laced tangents lyrically and musically. When it was over, they realized that the engineer had recorded the whole thing, so they made it a B-side and called it For Those of You All, For Those of You All Who Wear Fanny Packs, um, (laughs) which ended up on their... Uh, B-sides and, and sort of extras collection called Naked Baby Photos that came out in 1998. Yeah. I've listened to that song, and that song is funny. Like, mm, Nice. It's six minutes of just profanity and just like riffing and like just what you would expect of three really good musicians just sort of jamming in the studio, like warming up. But yeah. Ben Folds and I think the bass player are like trading off lyrics just on the spot <laughs> and it's really nice. funny 
because it's not at all like what you would expect. And no, they did a lot I, of B-sides, a lot of singles and a lot of extra material. I mean, well, and dance dance post reminded me of one of one of my favorite B-sides. I mean, hindsight 2020, it's not necessarily that great of a song itself, but um it was a live improv that was on the B-side to Not For You from Pearl Jam called Out of My Mind. Oh yeah. It was just it was made up at a live show on the spot for like four and a half minutes. And that was it. I mean, the lyrics are barely at barely anything, but the the groove is good and and everything else. And it it, it was one of my favorite things to listen to for for a while around that time. I I remember that because the singles for "Not for You" and "Spin the Black Circle" came out before the record, and that was the B side, like you mentioned, for "Not for You." And then. Tremor yep. Christ, I believe, was the B-side. Was the B-side for uh, Spin the Black Circle, yep. Yep. And um, were those the only two singles released? Like, No, Im- Immortality was released. Okay. As a single, with a cover of Rearview Mirror done by the Frogs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. And, it, and I, I, it was just the most languid kind of depressing version of a Pearl Jam song ever. Well, they're they're more known for just being outright ob- as obscene and disturbing as right. as you can imagine. So I, I was I, I had actually heard of them before uh before I heard I well my friend brought that single to me and he said they're sing they they they're singing the song really strange and they're calling themselves the frogs and I said no no the frogs is an actual band yeah. and then shared uh, I think my daughter the broad with him and uh, it became kind of a, a favorite joke album of ours for a while. Yeah, but no besides that. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know much about the Frogs other than they were kind of a they they were a band of weirdos a la Ween, but I did I never really looked into it. Uh, it's it's novelty stuff at best. Although they did do kind of a funny song called Lord Grunge that they managed not to curse in, so it got on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> that they managed to not curse him. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was it was like a kind of a criticism of the the whole you know northwestern you know explosion. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. But I mean, just the the I mean, Warrant had a song making fun of it. <laughs> so <laughs> just that, like the whole idea that you know they're they're an angry young man, but they're making tons of money, but and now they have to fake it in order to keep the money going. And that actually was released on on a seven inch, which is crazy that they had oh, that much uh, power to put out a seven inch single. Oh yeah, oh Pearl Jam insisted on having seven inch singles. That, the power that they had at that time to you know. absolutely. Oh yeah, I mean so green M and M's and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Richard Waterman said uh, for some songs, Nirvana's aneurysm. Pearl Jam's Yell Ledbetter, Oasis's Acquiesce, Manx Street Preacher's Patrick Bateman, XTC's Dear God, which I f- forgot that that was a B-side and it's not an, like an album. Yeah, track. it wasn't a B-side in the U.S., but it was a B-side in the U.K. Gotcha. Third Eye Blind's Horror Show, and his favorite B-side album is Smashing Pumpkins' Pisces Iscariot. He said, also my favorite Pumpkins album. Hmm. That's interesting. I might put it like number two or three. To be honest, I, 
it's really good. Gary Moran oh, yeah. said, I spent too much money hunting for Everclear's early CD singles, but found some pretty excellent B-sides along the way. Annabella's song, Happy Hour, Don't Change, Finding an Obscure Heart Spark Dollar Sign Import at Harmony House made for a good weekend back then. Ah, uh, yes. Hunting for CD singles at the record store. That's always, uh, Wait, so always I, fun. I was, I was never far away from a Tower Records. So, I mean, it wasn't that difficult for me, but it was just something I definitely enjoyed, and even if I couldn't afford it. <laughs> now, the Patrick... And they, and they came... Uh, I'm remembering, too, now that they came in those thinner jewel cases, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody know why easily. that is? Because it's a single, uh, you don't need as much plastic. Well, no, I mean you're not you're not printing lyrics and and all like the extra liner notes. photos and stuff. Yeah, the liners are just like songwriting information, producer information, and some wacky artwork on the inside of the jewel case, and that's it. Um, I'm assuming that they that the the slimline jewel cases, that's what they were called, were used in 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 the UK to, so they could fit more on the shelves. Yeah. Probably. That makes sense. Cause it, cause there would be a lot more singles than albums. Although oddly, most of the singles that I bought in the early nineties, uh, most of them were in regular jewel cases. Um, but probably half of them the imports? imports, uh, some imports, some not, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, at least I'm pretty certain they were imports. But yeah, I, I just always thought that was strange. The first time that I got something that was in that, that thin case, uh, man, I think the first thing I bought that was in a thin case was like the, the Head Like a Hole maxi single with all those remixes on it or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nine Snails had a lot of singles because of those remixes. They could do that. Which is, that's a weird, you know, it's a B-side, but they would put out a single and it would just be like seven remixes of the same song. So yeah. it's a, well, it's a their, different their co- single for sin. Their single for sin had a cover of get down, make love on it, which was pretty cool. That's right. Yeah. I mean, notice it. Note that note that a lot of the bands that did the, the like singles that were filled with remixes, the majority of them were us bands. <laughs> um, I, I I always found that kind of odd and 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 chuckle worthy, especially with like Nine Inch Nails. Um, I I at the time I would see oh there's a there's a new single and it would be remixes of the same song and maybe a remix of a different album track, and I always just kind of joked that they were notoriously stingy with their unreleased material. It, it seemed like, and I noticed that. Yeah, some of my favorite bands. We're super stingy with extra material. One is the Tragically Hip, who I don't think ever released a non-album track on any of their singles. I don't Maybe believe they once. have. I think the only thing I could 
Um, they had a song called Radio Show, which might have been recorded live, like at a at like a radio station, and they yeah. might have inc- included that somewhere. But all of their B sides were always just live versions. Yeah, of, of their songs. It, that's I ran into that. I I found that a little frustrating with the band live. Oh. They, they they would talk about the the songs that didn't make the album, but they would only put live versions on the singles. I mean, they never released actual singles in the U.S., so everything had to be U.K. import, but or Japanese they, import, and there were always live tracks. They did do that one. Uh, I, I guess you might consider it more of an EP, but it was that thing called Four Songs, and it had uh, two songs off of their first album. And yeah. then it had uh, Heaven Wears a sh- Heaven Wears a Shirt and Yeah, Heaven Wore a Shirt. Heaven Wore a Shirt, and then there's I love both of those extra tracks on that that four song uh, EP. Okay, I, I was actually yeah, going to mention those as B sides. I, I I mean I I thought about that one, but that was more of like a stopgap between Mental Jewelry and Throwing Copper. Um, I don't know, but you could be right on that. <laughs> Well, that we'll have to do that in our EPs of the 90s episode. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I was um, just hesitant to call it an EP because it seemed like they were just, it almost seemed like they said, hey, here's two singles from the album and let's give you two B-sides. It's yeah. almost like what the approach was. So uh, Mike Bond, in along this topic of EPs versus singles and all that, he said, um, this could spawn its own podcast, <laughs> discovering the B-sides of various bands. Plus there's the debate. Oh of original songs versus cover versions versus live tracks versus radio sessions, remixes, right. and whether and include them as singles or EPs. A few that come to mind, Manic Street Preachers, Sorrow 16, R.P. McMurphy, Prologue to History, and Star Lover. Again, Manics have like a double album of B-sides, so there's a ton of stuff there. He mentioned Suede's My Insatiable One, The Big Time, and To the Birds, Blur's Hanging Over, Oasis, The Master Plan, Acquiesce. Um, this artist, who I'm not familiar with, Yurisei Yatsura, Bariko Girl. Mike, I'm not familiar. You'll have to uh, have to look that up. Hmm. And then Nirvana, Nirvana's Aneurysm. And then uh, some of the other things that John Seaman mentioned was Smashing Pumpkins had so many B-sides from Ellen Colony and the Infinite Sadness that the singles were released as their own PD, EPs, correct? Uh, mm-hmm. God from the Zero EP is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. So is the song The Aeroplane Flies High, Turns Left, Looks Right, which is from the 33 EP. I uh, didn't hear that and, one until just last year, which that is that is my favorite Smashing Pumpkins song. And it has one of those Hands singles down. have like some of the best um, James Eha. There's like a, a bunch of James Eha yeah. singles or B-sides yep. included in those singles that are as good as anything he, he did. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. They put all those singles into that airplane flies high. Like it looks box almost set, like a little yeah. lunchbox box that and yeah. a front. A friend of mine had it, and I don't know if he was hard up for cash or if he just really knew how much I loved the band, but I think I bought it from him for like 15 or 20 bucks. And I didn't have any of those singles at the time, so that was a pretty good good pickup. And you see, I, I skipped out on that box because I had the singles already. I mean, the only thing that was different was um, they threw in a bunch of 80s covers on yep. the... Uh, I want to say it was the Bullet with Butterfly Wings met single. They expanded that to include a bunch of 80s covers. Yes. Um, 
They they added but, like uh, the the cars cover and the yeah and destination unknown. Yep, from missing person uh, and uh, Blondie, and a cure cover. Yeah, uh, but this it said sadly is the uh, that was I the think, main B side. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it also had on the zero single the pistachio medley. Nope, which it's pasticcio medley. Oh, sorry, pasticcio. Which yeah. is twenty five minutes, almost twenty six minutes of just oh, riffs. snippets, and eventually, I believe either bootlegged or I don't know if it was an official release, but all of those songs came out. I don't think all of them did, but a good chunk of them did on the remaster of Melancholy. Okay, because I was doing a lot um, of tape trading by this point in the nineties. Uh, and later in, and well into the early 2000s when when it's well, not in the early 2000s, because that's when he switched over to to uh, Napster. Um, yeah. But I was obsessed with like getting trying to figure out what all those songs were. Cause it was, like, so oh, many so cool I riffs. did the same thing and I failed so horribly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, because some of those riffs were really good. And Aer- Aeroplane Flies High was part of that medley. Yep. Um, it, but it, but it, from what I remember talking with somebody way back then during using BBSs, because that's that was the time. Um, talking about that particular medley, it's like I wonder if these were like just riff tapes or it, were they completed songs? Because because Melancholy was written to be a double CD album, so they had right. to write a lot. He had to write a lot of stuff, um, and I had to wonder if those were just like riffs that were laid down, or they were completed songs at least in rough form. And uh, I I lost my patience trying to trying to look for even remotely decent sounding <laughs> versions of any of it. <laughs> and they um, did release a box set or re-release the box set in 2013 with, with extra with extra demos and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and if you want to pick it up now it's like 200 bucks. Yeah, cuz there's <laughs> so much stuff. So so speaking of um of tape trading, um I, I, we haven't brought up the, the the band yet, but uh Radiohead uh I yes. I I kind of mm-hmm. got into a, a trading thing. There was somebody that I, I, I met online like two decades ago or something. And uh, she had actually put up a catalog of like concert bootlegs and just rarities and stuff like that. And if you could come up with something that she didn't have and send her a copy of what you had, and she'd send you a copy. You just send her CDRs and she'd burn it for you. So I forget what I sent her. It was something kind of lame. But uh, she was really nice and actually threw in additional CDRs. And ended up sending me uh, a like this. It was this amnesiac B side thing that had additional stuff on it that I wasn't aware of. Uh, a copy of Lost Treasures, and then something called Gunboat, um, <laughs> which it just has all just a whole bunch of, of rarities and B sides. A lot of it, like there's some that's like on the Comlag uh, EP, or whatever it's called. Um, How's my driving? I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Airbag, 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 airbag. But um, but there's a lot of. Um, a lot of stuff I'd never heard before, and I, I only have it on these CDs. Of course, I put it on the server, but uh, um, a, a lot of the else. a lot of the B sides from that era did get 
re-released like two years ago on the reissue of OK Computer. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've never done like a compilation, right? A compilation of B-sides? No, only bootleg. And it's funny you mentioned Lost Treasures because someone actually had a copy of that in a in a box of CDs she just handed me. <laughs> so I, right. I I haven't even gone through that yet. I mean, and it's not burned CDs either. So I mean, someone like knew somebody at a pressing plant somewhere. But uh, oh, the Lost yeah. Treasures was a legitimate. Um, I think it was a legitimate collection from the, huh. the late. Um, the other ones that I have aren't, but I didn't even know that the Lost Treasures thing existed. I think it was like an import, and she just burned me a copy of it. Oh, nice. So Radiohead, that's another band. I I, I remember specifically hmm. with regards to singles, some of the, the, the Iron Lung... Well, that's an EP, so that, I'm not going to use that one as an example. Yeah. Uh, which one was it that had... It's Machiladoria was one of the songs that, you know... If you were looking for, if you were looking, that was to on high collect, and dry. There we go. Um, that and talk show host, which was on Street Spirit, they had basically a whole album's worth of material between be, between the first two records of really good B sides that could have just been oh, like yeah. a record. quote unquote unauthorized re double disc re-release of the bands that has all of these things plus a couple of bbc sessions that supposedly they didn't authorize it but it's one of my favorite things in my collection but yeah it was everything that i fell in love with radiohead with like the 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 b-sides and the singles in between pablo honey and the bands and oh yeah and they, yeah, I think- they would bring unreleased tracks to bbc to play and yeah yeah i think that uh there's probably a lot of that stuff that if if jay hasn't heard since he's a lot more of a fan of the the pre uh kid a uh, Mm. stuff i think he'd really enjoy it the funny thing is it's them being so so prolific and just it's almost like they they burn themselves out of that style because they did so much stuff in that that phase of their career that's probably yeah. what brought about the the major shift so early. I mean, they only get you know three three albums deep, and all of a sudden they're really changing direction because um, they're like, oh, we we we're three hours deep, but we're technically six hours six albums deep. So well, the, well, that then they just they were sick of writing, trying to write radio hits. I mean, yeah, that's when they that's when they went headlong into like albums. Oh, sure, something may be catchy enough to play on the radio, but yeah, I mean, 
those B-sides, especially especially in the during the Benz era, and and really during OK Computer, were just leaning them more into the art aspect of music, and like maybe it, maybe it'll be like worrying about the pop aspect came later. One of the bands I want to talk about that we were contractually obligated because Jay and I are fans is um, Afghan Wigs, who for the most part did not release non-album tracks as their singles b-sides but mostly it was covers and it was a wide range of covers that they would release uh, whether it was bands from the area like they covered a scrawl song as a b-side which is a columbus band and, and marcy mays of scrawl sang on um gentlemen they released a cover of Yep, Creep by TLC as a B-side. They released um, My World is Empty Without You by the Supremes. And nice. there were a lot of a lot of different covers. So there was a song by Martha and the Vandellas called Easily Persuaded, which is, I think is actually one of their best B-sides. Um, and then into basically up till 1965, that was when they had a couple singles they did some remixes in, in that era as well. Um, mm. But they did, they covered, um, I think it was Papa Was a Rascal, which is a, an old blues song. But they were definitely on the end of, and, and if you have gotten the reissues of Gentlemen and Black Love, there's not a lot of extra material. Like the, the, the extra material is basically like jams. There's no finished songs really, because I guess... His philosophy yeah, they, is: if the song isn't going to get recorded, we're not recording it. Well, they, well, yeah. They, from from what I remember of Greg's um, interviews during that during those times, because Electra was pushing them pretty pretty heavy, especially around the Gentleman era. Um, like they just put all of their energy into the songs that did make the record. Yeah, a lot of like I said, a lot of American bands did that kind of thing. I yep. I think I remember somebody asking Filter around the time of their of the big Hey Man Nice Shot song. It's like, did you how many songs did you did you end up recording for the album? And it, it wasn't Richard Patrick; it was the other dude that just said um, eleven, which is the number of songs <laughs> on the record. <laughs> and then they and then they then they were just kind of chuckled and said, Yeah, well we did. We just put all our energy into these eleven songs. We didn't think about anything else, right? Yeah. So, so, so um, I mean, with you bringing up uh, the Afghan wigs, it just made me think of um, kind of those things where where something is kind of kind of like a single, but but not really in like the final packaging. But so so like the very first. Afghan wig song. Why well, I, I should, the very first one that I heard where I knew it was them uh, was Rebirth of the Cool. Ninety Seven X would play it all the time, mm-hmm. and I didn't have an Afghan wigs album yet, um, but I was familiar with a couple of songs there. So I went and I got Congregation. And uh, full disclosure here, I actually like Congregation more than Gentlemen. Um, but a I, lot I, of people are in your camp on that. I, I know people <laughs> yeah. that are in your camp. Yeah. So, so I got the album, and I, I couldn't remember the name of the song, Rebirth of the Cool, but I got the album, and I listened to it, and I recognized a couple of songs that I really liked, and you know, really liked the album 
from the get-go. And then there's a hidden track, which is Miles is Dead, which is the original version that they remixed to make Rebirth of the Cool. Right. And so I was kind of disappointed, but then also kind of excited. I had this different version. And then I finally found the Uptown Avondale EP, which in my mind is almost like, it's almost like Rebirth of the Cool is like the single, like the remix. And then the other four tracks are, you know, uh, like Motown or R&B, R&B covers. Yeah. And uh, um, so, I mean, that also makes me think of like whatever is cool with me from Dinosaur Jr., where it's kind of billed as a as a single, but mm-hmm. it's it's not really a single. I mean, it's like eight or nine tracks, um, but just stuff like that, where it's 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 B sides and rarities. But those are those are kind of my my introduction to uh, or that Dinosaur Jr. thing was my introduction to like, oh my God, people are actually putting together rare rare and, and B-side stuff into compilations and I can just get mm. them hunting for the singles. So just made me think of that when you mentioned the Afghan wigs. Yeah, I mean, I was in, I was in college in the, early, in the early 90s and I, I was part of the radio station and I would have an hour-long block of just B-sides because I thought that was that was incredibly cool. And some of these B-sides were better than the album tracks, especially with The Cure and Pearl Jam. And and so, like, I would go digging through singles and stuff just to find B-sides to play. It was, it, it was almost like, here's this little secret I know. <laughs> That's so how let's, I felt about it, at least. Let's pick some of our favorite B-sides. Uh, Jeremy, I'll start with you. Give me two or three of your of your favorite B sides from the nineties. Oh, that's tough. Um, so the first one, um, I mean, it's not, not like this is my favorite or anything, but um, this is technically a B side. Uh, when Foo, when the Foo Fighters first started out, um, they had a promotional single for Exhausted before the album even came out, and ninety seven X decided instead of playing the A side, they played Winnebago which was the B side. And so that was the very first like Foo Fighters song that I heard. And it drove me mad trying to find it because they didn't put it out like where I could find it until I think they put it as a, one of the tracks on the big me EP. But I always enjoyed that. I was, I was really a big 80s and early 90s U2 fan, so I was picking up a lot of U2 singles uh, in the early 90s. Uh, they had a, a, a version of The Fly called The Lounge Fly, which had alternate lyrics, which Bono was big into making alternate lyrics. So I just I, I always got a kick out of listening to a song and hearing them you know, change it up, hopefully not accidentally, as far as lyrics <laughs> go. And then uh, another band that I was really following in the early 90s 
uh, and picking up uh, import singles for um, was uh, was Ned's Atomic Dustbin. And they actually did a B-Sides compilation that was an import that I picked up. Um, I think either maybe Titch or Terminally Groovy off of that. Kind of, It's kind of a fun song. Um, but, I mean, there's so many of them. I mean, it's hard for me to, to, to pick a favorite because, uh, like, Sloan did, like, B-Sides collections, uh, uh, a B-Side yep. collection, that, that, and there's some great stuff on there, too. Uh, I forget who it is that's a, uh, somebody that comes on the show every once in a while that's always pushing Jesus Jones, but uh, there were a lot of, like, <laughs> Jesus Jones B-Sides that I liked back in the day. Maryland, Maryland was one of them, I think, which is is pretty good. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough to just pick three, but those are the ones that, that come to mind off the top of my head. Um, we need to uh, thank Jason Pan for chiming in during the broadcast. He said, uh, as far as singles, Mannix, Montana, Autumn '78, off of the "If You Tolerate" this single, of course, Manson and Radiohead. That's uh, Manson with the U, not Marilyn Manson. Uh, we're always yeah. great for B-sides. Radiohead some of the, had some of the great ones off the Benz era, in particular Trickster. I forgot about that song. That's a great song. Talk show host and Maculadoria. And then Tori Amos had Honey that missed out on being put on Under the Pink, which uh, ba- bar basically Cornflake Girl is better than anything on that album. I haven't heard that song, Honey, so I'll have to check that out and see. Well, uh, Tori Amos, Tori Amos re-released the first three albums with all of the B sides on a on a disc. Oh, on, on from each out because on some of her singles, I mean, a lot a lot of the B sides were like almost joke songs that she would write. Gotcha. She would definitely have an album's worth of B sides by the end of the album cycle. She was always. I, I was talking about how stingy bands like Live were. Tori Amos was very generous. With her B sides, interesting. Yeah. Um. So, Phil, yeah. Tell me two or three of your favorite B sides. <laughs> yeah, the aeroplane flies high. Look, turns left, looks right. It's eight and a half minutes of beauty. Um. <laughs> uh, let's see another one. Um. I'm trying to remember my my uh, suede B sides because some of those are just so good. I mean, because it because their B sides went right into into the two thousands too. Like they just did not stop. Uh, yeah, my insatiable one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, every day morning comes off the trash single. So in some some of my favorite B sides, we didn't discuss this, but Rock Set had a lot of B sides in the really early nineties from the Joyride album. They put out a they kind of put out a B side slash live slash uh, road album called Tourism in 1992, which you know it combined B sides with live material and songs that they decided to just dart into a studio on one on a day off and record on while on tour. Some of those songs are are great. Uh, a song called I Remember You. I'm trying to remember which. Which uh, B, which single that was the B side for? Um, but yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think of Rock Set, but yeah, they had a lot. Of, they had some really damn good B sides. Was it a cover of Skid Row? No, <laughs> no, it wasn't. I, I thought it would. I, I mean, when I saw the title, that's exactly what I thought. I'm like, well, she does have a voice that can pull it off. <laughs> I could imagine her singing it. I mean, yeah. yeah. But uh, Skid Row did a B-Sides album in the early 90s, too, which 
I well, that, to, that was that uh, was like an EP, and it was all covers. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, I believe it was all covers. Well, how about um, Anthrax Attack of the Killer Bees? You guys could. Yeah, there you go. Oh yeah. With that it, was uh, nominated for a Grammy. I think so. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I mean, I mean that that one. I mean, my brother was huge into Anthrax at the time, and I just thought it was funny that they had a song called "Nice Fucking Ballad," <laughs> 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 which it, which I believe that the liner notes they said in the liner notes it took all of nineteen seconds to write. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know much about Anthrax, <laughs> but that that uh that has "Bring the Noise" on it, which was yeah at, to 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 that point probably their biggest single and biggest MTV video. Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah, not up until the late '90s when they actually got a couple of radio singles. Yeah, and, effe- and effectively launched rap rock, <laughs> whether we liked it or not. Yep. <laughs> that I think that was more faith, no more. But <laughs> yeah, that that that's a debate for another episode. <laughs> no, but uh, just a, just being a fan of a lot of these bands in the nineties was, was a very expensive prospect. If you wanted to be a hardcore fan, I mean, the only other comparison I could make is guided by voices. Cause oh, that boy. guy threw that guy threw on eight songs on a single. And of course right. it was only about 13 minutes playing time, but sure. I digress. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, and they released some beats of, I can't even say the compilations, but it's basically like nine song singles. Well, and then they have box sets that are like, you know, unreleased 200 material. songs and it's all unreleased yep. material. And there's the, the, those box sets, there's like f- multiple volumes of them. So there's, there's four volumes. I have all four. Okay. There you go. <laughs> um, Jay. Yes. What are what are some B sides that stick out for you that you that you're a fan of from the nineties? Uh yeah, a couple of we didn't mention. Um Stone Cold Crazy um from Metallica. Oh yeah. Uh, yes, I was gonna out. mention that earlier. That's probably the only Queen song they could ever do, and it sounds like it was written for them. <laughs> it, yeah, well it is a thrashy out. song. Um yeah. Yeah, well, Metallica was one of those one of those bands that put everything into what went on the album. And so if 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 there were ever B-sides, it was either a remix or a cover song because they didn't have to think about writing it so they could bash out covers. No, it, I mean, the, the way that they could bash out covers like Radiohead bashed out their own songs in 97. Uh, and mine are uh, going to be cover heavy, I think. So I think, the, I think the Def Leppard, Hot House Flowered versions of Two songs they get covered a lot and covered poorly. Uh, you can't always get what you want in Little Wing, but they're done really well. Um, I think Hot House Flowers is, brings a lot to those. Uh, Come On and Love Me from the Skid Row compilation. That was the first time I think I heard a band cover Kiss at that time, like 70s Kiss, and it kind of launched the I think the idea of doing the um, the Kiss compilation that came out a couple years later. And they do oh, the Kiss My Ass compilation? Yep. Yeah. And maybe my it was hard picking my favorite Manix B side because there's so many, but uh, I really like Black Holes for the Young. That might be one of their best songs. Uh, those would be side to the Everlasting, '98. Um, mm-hmm. Patrick Bateman's really good too, but um, that was it's, one that I'd forgotten about. 
Um, it's got a bit of a shock value to it. Yeah. <laughs> you think? Uh, and then my last one is kind of fun um on the other side single from aerosmith they released their version of uh the theme from wayne's world so that was one of my other favorites it's probably the last time aerosmith was fun (laughs) all right uh well i i I chuckled because you're right (laughs) I remember at the time I was like, wow, this band's so cool. Like they don't take themselves too seriously and they're doing this because the, they had done the TV show and then they released that, yeah. like the, that recording of it, which is, is this live version from the TV show on the single. Oh, yeah. That was pretty much the, the end of them. Um, I'll mention since you, since you brought up the Manics, I, I'm, I like the uh, B-side Socialist Serenade, which is on the Lipstick Traces compilation that came out in 2003. And they've been mentioned a lot. And I, I know we've mentioned Smashing Pumpkins, but Hello Kitty Cat, which was on the Today single, is one of my yeah. favorite B-sides of theirs. That that wound up on Pisces Iscariot, if, I, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Yeah. Yep. As far as the wigs go, The Dark End of the Street, which has been covered by many people, maybe Wilson Pickett has one of the more famous versions, but their version is particularly creepy. Uh, Rick McCollum uses a lot of feedback in the song rather than play, so it, it gives this, like nice creep effect and i think there's some cello on that song as well and um just always been i I like that song and i like their version of it and then probably i think maybe one of my favorite b-sides of all time is on hums coming home single the b-side is called puppets and it really is one of the best hum songs ever oh damn i forgot about that song (laughs) <laughs> it's on its own single. It was released later on a. It was the A side, and then the B side was a song called Aphids. But it is just a barn burner of a song. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that an A side <laughs> or a B side? Well, it was I, originally it was released as the B side for Coming Home. That was in 1997, and then they released in 1998, the following year, the song as a single with aphids as the b-side but it was only a promo single it was not sold so the only way to get the song to buy it was to buy the original single from when coming home came out which was on downward is heavenward um and i actually own the seven inch of that song how do i have i have the puppets aphids yep that was a that was a radio (laughs) promo single probably stolen from wfal when we were there there you go That's how you got, got that. I mean, while, while you guys were discussing your favorite B-sides, I, it just reminded me of the Wild Hearts, which I believe you guys reviewed the first album and you weren't too happy with it. Um, <laughs> but uh, they have amazing B-sides, too. And uh, their biggest hit in the UK was, in fact... I, I believe it was a B-side to a uh, single off of their second album, which is vastly superior to the first, called uh, um, Sick of Drugs. <laughs> but, do we, do we, um, I think we did. Uh, do we do Earth vs. Wild Hearts? Yeah. Or? Yes. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the second album was called P-H-U-Q. Oh, and uh, yeah, it spells it. If you spell it out, it's what you think it is. Um, but right. um when they they were signed to Warner and they and they would go into they would have B-side sessions like every 6 weeks just to put extra songs on a on a single so yeah yeah he's prol- prolific oh, yes. 
some other bands I just want to throw out there that I, I, I've collected their B-sides because I'm an uber nerd. I mentioned Marion as being one of the obscure bands. I've, I collected all the Brad and Satchel B-sides because I love Sean Smith. And I, I thought a, a lot of the material, especially in the interior, they had like a bunch of singles for interiors because, you know, The Day Brings, Secret yeah, yeah, Girl. Yeah. They had some really strong B-sides that were not just like remixes of those songs. There was a song so called d- Seance and Heaven Help. Yep. And, yep. Those were uh, added to the Japanese version of interiors. I, I had ah, that CD. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, um, and I do like the remix. They did some remix versions of like 20th century off mm. of um, the first record. Yep. Yeah. And there's an acoustic version of the day brings where it's just him and a piano, which is really, oh, really nice. nice on one of the B sides as well. So that that's a band that obviously, um is you know i'm a big fan so it's i'm gonna collect those things because <laughs> as a they say as that, a completist I didn't, I didn't really know that they released singles like that yep um i mean because it they because here in the u.s they were just oh hey this is a pearl jam side project band ha ha um, yeah and actually the first satchel album has singles with b-sides like there's between the two bands there's probably a full album of b-sides between satchel and brad well well brad released four albums four proper studio albums they there was a compilation of brad and satchel right stuff which has some good stuff on it yeah it has some good stuff i mean it didn't stand out as much because it was kind of like tossed off tossed off songs yeah oh this is going to be for a project that never came to fruition i mean between pearl jam's schedule i would i would have hardly thought that they had time to do any extra material i mean the the extra songs from the last brad album were actually quite good they were on the the itunes deluxe version yeah i didn't i had the i have the reissue of uh welcome to discovery park which had a couple of two extra I'm guessing yep. that they would be would have been B sides in the in another country, but uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. I did not know Brad had many B sides at all. They had that epic money, you know. Yeah, they were signed to epic for <laughs> for a period of time. They had epic was flowing with cash, so they had some money yeah, to throw some singles out. They were funneling it through loose groove. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, yeah. you know, well only only the first record. Actually, I don't think any of the albums went through loose groove. Wasn't the first one? I thought the first one was. I thought, well, I think it's a, a co-release, like Loose Groove slash Epic. Yeah, it may have been. I mean, I know, I know, Sony distributed Loose Groove and yeah, got a, and released a bunch of stuff that did not sell at all. But it did give the first Queens of the Stone Age album a home. I I believe it's the situation where um, Loose Groove got to release like the vinyl version. And then yes, Epic, Epic yes. released the CD for the first. I think that yeah. was the situation. If I and then they moved to different labels after that. Yeah. Um, well, but, Epic Epic proper release interiors, and they actually tried to push the Day Brings as a single. Like oh, they filmed the video, and it, mm-hmm. and it played on MTV, and that was a heavy Coles uh, department store rotation. Yeah. When I started working there <laughs> in 1999. I heard it in Kroger. I heard. Oh it yeah! In what? I still yeah. hear it in certain stores. Wow! Was that I, after Sean uh, Smith had the minor no. hit with uh, 
the Fidelity All Stars. Oh, um, Battle Flag. No. Oh, yeah, it um, it might have been. It was, was the, like, it was definitely around the same time because Interiors came out in '97. No. Um. Yeah, '97. No? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. '97. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, and the, and that that song was that Low Fidelity All Stars song was pretty big i want to say in like late 97 early 98 i could be wrong there well the original version which is on the full sentence came out in 96 and then the remix by low fidelity r stars is uh, was originally released i think on the it was called the flash bulb emergency overflow cavalcade of remixes (laughs) uh which came out in 97 but then their album didn't come out until 98. And I think that's when it became a hit was 98. Okay. And that's when it was like in movie trailers. Yes. Okay. And, and it was, yeah, that's when it started to like get some yeah, notoriety. It was, it was 90, 98 when it charted. Yep. So yeah, it took three so. years or two years, two, you know, two or three years between the original version, which I didn't realize it until much later. He, uh, not samples, but he quotes a print song in part of that song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. So I'm. Here's and, the and problem. Was, he I probably had looking... to. He didn't make any money off yeah. of that, is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I doubt it. Well, I I don't know if that was necessarily because of the Prince thing. I I, I didn't he. Maybe it was even with uh, on your show. I, I'm pretty sure I heard something where he talked about basically getting ripped off by that whole deal. I think he did. And then when we had Steve Fisk on, I think he mentioned about that as well. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that basically they said, well, it's a new song. (laughs) We don't owe you anything. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool. uh, Low fidelity all-stars. Um, (laughs) we've covered a lot of ground here in our hour plus on B sides. We barely scratched the surface. I want to 11 implore. more hours to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to uh, suggest our people who are on our Discord channel chime in when this episode launches with their favorite B-sides. Maybe post a YouTube video or a Spotify link or something like that so we can check them out. And if you're listening... Oh, yes, please. Uh, you know, on, you can do that uh, face uh, on the Facebook or, or Twitter or uh, one of the socials. Instagram, Pinterest. I don't know. Did Pinterest do videos and... and I don't know. Maybe we'll go over to uh, we'll, we'll revisit our MySpace Etsy. page. Yeah, <laughs> Etsy. Share us Etsy. in your Etsy store. There you go. Got to thank our guests, uh, Phil. Thank you for coming back after such a long thank break. You. We appreciate yes, you. Uh, thank you so much finding the time. And and Jeremy, thank you as well for coming on and contributing. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks. If you want to be like the gents who joined us this past week. Uh, head on over to the Dig Me Out Union, dmounion.com. Digmeoutunion.com is where you go. That's the website. Join the union. Vote in our polls. Listen to our bonus content. All that kind of good stuff. Join our Discord channel for only positive conversations. No, <laughs> no politics. Just a uh, no politics. No politics, politics free zone. We talk about our favorite concerts and. Uh, Let's, let's we can talk about uh, all sorts of uh, fun things there that are music related. Also, the Box Newsletter, make sure you sign up for that at digmeoutpodcast.com. That's where you get our weekly 
reviews of new records, one minute reviews, plus our release calendar for books, movies, and albums related to the 80s and 90s. Always stuff coming out, always things popping into the feed that we didn't know were coming out, and we're like, hey, that's unexpected. A Jayhawks album? I had no idea it was coming out. I was like, oh, this is... I actually actually just read about that one. They had an interview with uh, Jayhawks on Billboard, so I I actually knew about that one. (laughs) I found out about um, it five minutes before it came out. There you go. Final Emergency interviewed Gary uh, Gary Gary Loris, and I was like, oh, why is he doing interviews? (laughs) (laughs) Like the next day, like, new album. I'm like, oh, that's why he's doing interviews. Okay. Yep. There you go. <laughs> uh, and then, of uh, of course, if you like what you heard, please find us on Apple Podcasts and uh, give us a you know maybe a five star, four at the minimum. Anything less than that, uh, just ignore it. And uh, <laughs> and that's it. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. This is falling field.